calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Welcome to the serialized audiobook, Pandemic, book three of the Infected Trilogy. Written by number one New York Times bestselling novelist, Scott Sigler. Performed by Phil Giganti. Pandemic is also available in print, ebook, and unabridged audiobook. For links to purchase any version, visit scottsigler.com slash pandemic. Chapter 28 the cook. Cooper Mitchell awoke to darkness, darkness and the sound of a cough, a cough that wasn't his and wasn't Sophia's either. He was on his back. He'd bunched up his coat as a pillow. Sophia lay next to him, her head on Jeff's folded coat. Cooper could feel her breathing. The cough again, a man's cough coming from inside the dark room. Cooper had a moment of panic. Where was the gun? His right hand slid out snake-strike fast, feeling for the weapon. Found it almost immediately. He flexed his fingers on the pistol grip, then sat up. Another sound. A light snore. Like the cough, it came from the other side of the overturned table. Was it a man? Was it one of the yellow things? The conference room's door remained closed, no light from the hall, just the red glow of the exit sign. Cooper swallowed. He drummed up what courage remained in his quivering chest. He stood. The room lights flickered on, illuminated the familiar white tablecloth, tables, chairs, the dead man in the suit, and a new body. A man, face down, wearing a cook's uniform. The cook's chest rose with a breath, then spasmed with another cough. Sleeping. Maybe he and Sophia could slip out of the room without waking him up. Cooper knelt back down. He slid the pistol's barrel into the waist of his pants. He reached down slowly, then simultaneously slid his left hand behind Sophia's head and cupped his right over her mouth. She feels so hot. Her eyes opened wide. Her hands shot to his, grabbed and scratched. Her legs kicked, and she let out a muffled scream. Cooper fell to the floor next to her, put his mouth to her ear, spoke so quietly his words were nothing but breaths. It's me, Cooper. Be quiet. One of them is in the room. She went rigid. Her unblinking eyes stared at him. She was burning up. A fever. Not as bad as Jeff's had been in the boiler room, but still a bad one. Cooper let go of her head. He helped her to her feet. She winced as she stood. 
He pointed to the man in the cook's uniform. She leaned in close, spoke in a hissing whisper. Is he asleep? I think so. Shoot him. What? No. We need to get out of here. If we shoot him, it'll make noise, maybe bring others. The sleeping man coughed again, this time much harder, the lung-ripping sound pulling his body into a fetal position. Cooper thought about throwing Sophia over his shoulder, making a run for the door. He thought about it a moment too long. The cook sat up. Cooper drew the pistol and pointed it at the man's chest. Just shoot him. Just shoot him now. But what if he's not one of them? The man had reddish-brown spots all over his white uniform. Cooper knew those stains weren't from preparing some dish in the kitchen. The man looked at the gun, then at Cooper, then at Sophia. Are you guys friends? That word again, friends. When the bald man had thought Cooper was his friend, everything had been fine. Maybe Cooper could bullshit his way through this. Maybe he wouldn't have to murder this man. We're friends, Cooper said. We're all friends here. The man wiped his white sleeve across his nose. The fabric came away streaked with red. Sweat gleamed on the cook's face and forehead. He sniffed deeply, the sound choked by snot clogging his sinuses. I'm all stuffed up. Can't smell a thing. If you're a friend, why are you pointing that gun at me? The man had obviously come in here looking for a place to sleep. He hadn't bothered to look behind the tables. Cooper and Sophia had been lucky. My name is Chavo, the cook said. What's yours? Chavo. Cooper hadn't wanted to know the man's name. Hadn't wanted to think about him as a person. Don't worry about our names, Cooper said. How long have you been in here? Chavo shrugged. Since some time last night, we were taking care of business. He smiled when he said it. Taking care of business meant killing people. He stuck out his tongue, showing the blue triangles that dotted the pink surface. The man's smile widened as his tongue slid back into his mouth. See? I can prove I'm a friend. Cooper felt Sophia squeeze his arm. Shoot this fucker, she said. Chavo started coughing again, his fist at his mouth, his body nearly convulsing, yet his eyes never left Sophia. He pointed at her. She's not a friend. The man lifted his right knee and planted his foot as if to stand. Cooper leveled the pistol at Chavo's face. Don't you fucking move! Sophia's fingers dug into his left bicep, so hard they felt like dull metal needles that couldn't quite penetrate the skin. Shoot this fuck! Waste him before he calls for help! Her hands let go of his bicep. Cooper felt them grabbing for the gun. He used his free arm to keep her away. Sophia, stop! Chavo stood and ran for the door. His hands reached for the horizontal bar, hit it, knocked the door open. He made it one step out before the gun fired twice. Bam! Bam! The second shot surprising Cooper even more than the first. The man lurched forward, landed hard on his face and chest. 
Cooper felt stunned. He'd just shot a man in the back. He hadn't thought. He'd just done it. Shava wasn't dead. His arms came up, hands pressed against the floor. He started to crawl. Two spots of red spread across the back of his white uniform. Cooper saw Shavo's chest fill with a big breath, saw the man's head tilt back. Kill them! They are in here! He shouldn't be able to scream. I shot him in the back. He should be dead. Sophia yanked the gun from his hand. She limped toward the door, one hand pressed to her side, the other holding the pistol. Shavo crawled a little farther. His belly left smears of blood on the carpet. Sophia reached him. She put the gun to the back of his head and fired. Shavo's face flopped onto the carpet. He stopped moving. Cooper ran to Sophia, stood next to her. Blood soaked into the carpet beneath Shavo's face, or what was left of his face, a thick stain that slowly spread outward. Sophia sagged against Cooper, weakly held the gun up for him to take. You've got five bullets left. Try not to be... Be such a pussy, okay? She started to fall. He slid an arm around her waist, held her up. He could feel her heat even through her clothes. He had to get her to a hospital, find a doctor or something. Cooper took the gun from her hand. He stared down at the dead man. Then he heard the roar. It was a sound both human and not, a sound that carried through the hall. It came from somewhere off to the right. Then, from the left, a man answering with a guttural shout. Cooper again looked at Chavo's body. The blood streaks pointed back to the door, like an arrow that said, The people you want to kill are in here. He pulled Sophia tighter. Come on, we have to move. She seemed to gather the last of her strength. She gently pushed away, stood on her own two feet. Move where? Where? Good question. Whatever was coming would check this room, check the nearby rooms as well. If he and Sophia were going to survive, they had to find something better. Maybe find a car and get the hell out of Chicago. Maybe reach the Mary Ellen. Hold on a second, he said, then ran back into the conference room and grabbed the two coats. He shrugged his on, offered Jeff's to Sophia. Outside. We have to go outside. Sophia rubbed her face. She nodded. Well, shit. Had to happen sooner or later, I guess. She put on Jeff's coat. Cooper slid under her shoulder and helped her forward. He held the gun tight as the roars grew louder. On a remote island in Frigid Lake Superior, a fabricated creature birthed from the mind of a disturbed genius stalks the very people who created it. Ancestor by number one New York Times bestselling author Scott Sigler is a classic tale of science gone horribly wrong. Available wherever you get your podcasts. Chapter 29 Sermon on the Mount Steve Stanton stood tall, his hands resting lightly on the balcony's marble railing. Wide stairwells descended on the left and the right, but his followers were packed in so tight Steve couldn't see a single step. Below, a sea of reverent faces gazed up at him, 
Skylights above shone a pale yellow, letting in the scant late-morning sunlight that managed to penetrate the winter storm blowing outside. He was in the Art Institute of Chicago, a place dedicated to the beauty of the human race. With the help of the people packed in to hear him, to follow him, he would destroy that beauty and that race as well. This place was a fitting cathedral for the newly born flock to hear his message. The converted murmured in anticipation, in excitement. They waited for him to speak. Until just a few days ago, Steve hadn't believed in a higher power. Now he knew one existed, and knew that this divine being had chosen him to lead. When God stands with you, no man can stand against you. The people on the stairs, the faces down below, they were all God's children, but they were not all the same. Some had the mark of the triangle on foreheads or cheeks. Others of that type had no visible marks, because clothes hid their blessings. Even if the signs were hidden, Steve could just look at a person and know their caste. Those marked with the triangles were hatchling hosts, walking incubators, who were soon to give up their lives for the glory of God's very first creation. Then there were the mothers and fathers-to-be, people already swelling with God's love. Soon they would be moved away from the city center to areas where humans huddled in offices and stores and apartment buildings. When these parents blossomed, the winter wind would carry spores to places that the chosen could not reach. The triangle tongues made up the main body of Steve's growing army, stable and reliable, but also vicious, hungry, and smart. Not as intelligent as he was, of course, but capable of thinking for themselves, able to follow orders to the letter or problem-solve when those orders no longer made any sense. A scant few of the faces below belonged to leaders, people closer to Steve's own intelligence. Like him, these individuals showed no outward sign of any kind. Yet they had something inside of them, something that called to the other castes, made the hatchling hosts and triangle tongues and parents-to-be want to follow, made them need to please and obey. And God's final creation, the bulls. Steve didn't know who had first used that nickname, but it fit perfectly. Something to do with local sports teams, apparently. There were very few bulls so far. Many had perished during the conversion process, either in their cocoons or shortly after hatching. Whole-scale restructuring of the human body carried a high risk of failure. Steve had ordered his few finished bulls to stay out of sight for now. Bulls were harder to control. They were more violent than even the triangle tongues. The last thing Steve needed was fighting among the people. Soon, however, he'd let his bulls run. All of these castes would do anything he said. They would obey. They would kill. If he asked them to, they would die. He raised his hands. They fell silent. My friends, he said, this is the start of something wonderful. His words echoed slightly off the stone walls, making him feel far more grand, far more powerful. His speech carried the will of God. You have been chosen. Every one of you feels this in your heart, just as I do. You used to be workers and bosses, teachers or policemen. You used to be shopkeepers and soldiers. You served in a hundred other roles. What you were before no longer matters. 
because now we are one. The smiles, the nods, the wide-eyed stares of bliss. They knew. They believed. Everyone here understands that humans are the enemy, that they must be destroyed. We will accomplish that, but we can't act like animals. The American military will strike back, and soon. They will start with the cities where the violence is out of control, where it is clear our people have taken over. We can't help those other cities. We can only help ourselves. Therefore, as we accomplish our goals, we have to draw as little attention as possible. Heads nodded. Some put hands over hearts. Some even cried. The power of God flowed through Steve Stanton. He had seen the news coverage of Paris. He had to make sure his followers didn't do anything stupid like that. Cities mattered. Spread the word. Do not destroy power facilities. Leave all power lines and transformers alone. Do not destroy any communication. Telephone lines, utility poles, cell phone towers. Leave them all be. And no more fires. If any of you see a chosen one setting a fire, kill that person and make an example of them. Am I understood? A thousand heads nodded. We will use their own communication systems against them. He pointed to his ear. The humans are listening. Only the heads of individual groups may have a cell phone. Do not talk about being chosen on phones, on the internet, or in emails. I will distribute code words that you will pass on to others by face-to-face -face meetings only. If I need to make everyone act at once, we'll broadcast those code words. We must be careful so that the outside world doesn't suspect our numbers. The heads nodded faster, more intently. They understood. As you spread throughout the city, find others of our kind. Tell them about me. Tell them I am in charge. If you find humans who are not converting, kill them. Who here has served in the military? Along the descending stairs and down on the main floor, forty-odd hands rose. Excellent. All of you, come up and meet with me when I dismiss the rest. Everyone else, when you leave here, find me more soldiers. Ask for military experience. And ask specifically for anyone who served in a reserve unit in this area. If there are weapons in or around Chicago, we need them. Steve again put his hands on the cool stone railing. He leaned forward, letting the motions come naturally, letting the intensity build. His past, the shy, awkward thing he'd once been, it all seemed a bad dream. Power coursed through him. He could control the Chosen Ones as easily as he'd controlled the platypus. The world is about to change forever. We will make this city ours. Soon after that, the entire country. He stood straight. He raised his arms, spread them wide. When the chosen in other cities are tearing themselves apart, tearing their cities apart, Chicago will stand tall. From here we will rule. The time of humanity is over, chosen ones. Your time has come! The roaring cheer filled the open space echoed off the marble walls, made Steve's skin ripple with goosebumps. 
This thousand would spread through the streets, gathering others of their kind, killing any who were not. In a day, this city would be under his control. Chicago was only the beginning. Chapter 30 The Trump Tower The fire stairs had seen him safely down. Cooper prayed they would see him safely up. It was smarter than taking the elevator, anyway. Who knew what those doors might open up to? Sophia couldn't climb the steps on her own. That burst of strength she'd used to kill Shava was already a distant memory. Cooper kept his left arm around her waist, helping her along. His right hand stayed locked on the cool, comforting feel of the pistol. Two switchback flights led from the sub-basement to the basement level. Another pair would lead to the ground floor. He'd helped her up six steps to the first landing, halfway to the basement level, and his legs were already burning. Cooper, I'm not doing so great. You have a fever. Maybe your wound is infected. That fast? He shrugged. Beats the hell out of me. I think we have to find a drugstore or a hospital. Get you antibiotics. There had to be drugstores close by. He could find her some medicine. Then maybe they could make their way to the Mary Ellen. Jeff was nowhere to be found. And Cooper hated to admit it. After seeing that empty cocoon membrane, he was no longer sure he wanted to find Jeff. He helped Sophia up another step. Just a little more. Make it to the ground floor, then we'll peek into the lobby and see if the coast is clear. Two heads peered around a white stone corner. Cooper stared into the Trump Tower's long lobby. On his right was the 40-foot-long, 20-foot-high glass wall that looked out onto Wabash Avenue. Outside, big clumps of snow whirled down from a sky that was almost the same yellow as the feet he'd seen in the boiler room. Directly in front of him stretched the modern, white marble floor that led to the registration desk, or at least what was left of it. Body parts littered the lobby. Puddles of tacky blood pooled around corpses, bloody footprints leading away in various directions. He took all that in at a glance, because he could really focus on only one thing. Hatchlings. Twenty of them. Maybe thirty. Cooper had seen shaky footage of hatchlings before, part of Gutierrez's team's program. The video had been taken by soldiers in the woods just before the creatures attacked. But to see the things in person... They stood around two feet tall. Three thick, twitching tentacle legs made up half of that height. Legs that attached to the bottom points of a three-sided pyramid, covered in gnarled, glossy black skin. And in the middle of each triangular side, a vertical black eye. Purplish lids blinked rapidly, pushing in from the left and the right sides, keeping the eyes wet and clean. The hatchlings crawled on everything. Furniture, body parts, the splintered wood of the shredded front desk, even chipped and cracked white stone walls, that four days earlier had been a spotless, polished marvel. The monsters lowered their bodies to these various surfaces. They jittered and shook perversely, like misshapen dogs humping wood and glass and marble. As they shook, Cooper heard crunching sounds, grinding noises. He watched one of the hatchlings rise up on its three tentacle legs. It climbed on top of a hard, knee-high, uneven mound that ran the inner length of the lobby's floor-to-ceiling glass wall. The creature vibrated. Clumpy, damp material squirted from its bottom. It was shitting. That mound, 
It was all solidified shit. The thing vibrated one more time, squeezing out the last bits. Then the graceful tentacle legs carried it to the torn reception desk. No, not torn. Half-eaten. Sophia's hands clutched at Cooper's arm. She stood half behind him, using him as both protection and support. Fuck me. I never believed they were real. I thought that news footage was special effects bullshit. Cooper nodded, neither knowing nor caring if he'd ever believed or not. The past didn't matter, because he could see just how real they were. Sophia tugged at his coat. What are they doing? I don't know. Maybe they're making a bulwark or something. A bulwark? What the fuck is a bulwark? Like a wall. Something to stay behind during a gunfight. You a soldier or something? History Channel. Watch enough World War II documentaries and things sink in. The sound of roars suddenly echoed through the lobby, filtering in from somewhere deeper in the hotel. Cooper couldn't be sure where the roars were coming from. If he and Sophia were going to get out of the hotel alive, they had to go right through the little poop-making monsters. His hands felt sweaty. He raised the pistol, started to aim at the closest creature. Sophia's hand rested on his forearm. Don't. Five bullets. We have to conserve. She ran out of breath in mid-sentence. She was farther gone than Cooper had hoped. Our ammo. If he fired off a round, would the hatchlings scatter? Maybe. Or maybe they'd attack, like they had in the video. Swarm in, chew him up alive, and then shit him out to make more of their little fortress. He looked at Sophia. I can shoot one, see if they run. What else could we do? We could just walk out. She closed her eyes, tried to deal with the heat washing through her body. We don't fuck with them. Maybe they don't fuck with us. Shavo didn't attack you. Maybe these things won't either. Cooper's throat felt tight. A pinching feeling churned in his guts. Sophia raised a weak hand, pointed to the glass wall. The street is right there. If we stay any longer, we'll... We'll run into something worse than those little monsters. Another roar, the closest yet, seemed to punctuate her words. She was right. They didn't have time to find another way out. Gun in his right hand, his left arm around Sophia's waist, Cooper stepped out from behind the corner and walked toward the front door some forty feet ahead. The twenty hatchlings stopped moving. Cooper paused. They all turned their bodies so two of their eyes looked his way, focused on him. Sophia slipped, just a little. He caught her, held her up. Now or never. He started walking again. Sophia did her best to carry her own weight and keep pace. The pyramid creatures watched. The long glass wall passed by on Cooper's right. At the end of it, past the reception desk on the left, was the revolving door that opened onto the street. He was halfway to it when, as a unit, the hatchlings suddenly went back to their work of humping, grinding, and shitting. Cooper and Sophia reached the revolving door. They stepped inside, pushed, 
walked with it until it opened onto the sidewalk of the Trump Tower's curved entry drive. A strong, icy wind clawed him, ripped at his coat. Sophia's hand came up to shield her eyes and face. He and Sophia stepped forward. The two of them stared out at a war zone. Burned-out cars lined Wabash Avenue, including the cop car he'd seen on fire just a few days ago. Or was it ours? He wasn't sure. Powdery snow swirled along the pavement, in places stopping and sticking, turning into long, thin, white fingers that stretched over the blacktop. Across the street to the left, a black glass skyscraper towered high above. Cooper didn't know the name of it. It had caught fire at some point. The building looked like a tall, sparkling cinder. And everywhere, bodies. Some were bloated, their swollen bellies stretching shirts and popping buttons. Some were missing arms or legs. Some had their stomachs ripped open or their heads smashed in. The clothing of the corpses rippled and snapped in time with the unforgiving wind. Pools of blood had frozen into snow-speckled red glass. Pillars of smoke rose across the city skyline, abstract streaks of wavering grayish-black brushstrokes on a canvas of glowing yellow and orange. Five days ago, Chicago had been, well, Chicago. Now it was a slaughterhouse. Beneath the wind's undulating howl, he heard no car engines, no honks, no tires squishing across slushy concrete, no talking, no yelling, no people. The lack of city sounds jarred him almost as much as the hatchlings had. Fuck, Sophia said. I know. Oh, man. Oh, man, this is so messed up. Not that. I mean, it's cold. Cooper nodded. The wind stung his face. Wind like this could burn you, make your skin crack and peel worse than eight hours in the sun. He started shivering. Had to be five or ten below out here. Way worse with the wind chill. He was lucky he'd brought Jeff's jacket, or there was no way Sophia would have lasted more than fifteen minutes out here. The coat meant that her wound and infection might kill her before the cold did. He had to help her. You know of any drugstores in the area? Sophia nodded. There's a Walgreens up on Michigan Avenue by Pioneer Court. How far is that? Two blocks east, a block north. Not far. He squeezed Sophia a little tighter, trying to reassure her. And if we can't get into that Walgreens, what else can you think of? She thought for a moment. Northwestern Memorial Hospital is a little farther north, on Huron. If we can't get in, we keep going right up Michigan Avenue. There's another Walgreens at East Chicago, I think. Seven blocks north from here. Can we find a car? No use right now. Even if we found one that worked, the street is too clogged with wrecks. For now, we walk. I was afraid you'd say that. Cooper, I'm cold. He stuffed the pistol into the back of his pants. He bent, scooped Sophia up, held her in his arms as if they were about to walk across the threshold. Romantic, she said, her voice barely audible over the winter wind. You, you know we're going to die, right? Cooper pulled her close, kissed her forehead. Even that felt scorchingly hot. We'll make it. Just give me directions. She pointed to the right. North on Wabash. Sophia leaned in and kissed him on the cheek, 
then rested her head on his shoulder. She was shivering even worse than he was. Cooper adjusted her in his arms. He headed north. You have been listening to Pandemic, book three of the Infected Trilogy by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler. Performed by Phil Giganti. Produced by Empty Set Entertainment. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama where the story is determined by the roll of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts.